Hello everyone and welcome to our third podcast. Um, today we're going to be chatting about the lower back and touching a little bit about on um, pain associated with the lumbar spine, the lower back, and focus um, our attention towards the end of it on herniated disc pain management, um, which is an area that a lot of you have expressed an interest in. Now, um, Liam, we posed um, on our social media platforms um, questions to individuals um, about lower back pain. Um, and a few came back to me. Um, did any come back your way at all with regards to common sort of issues people struggling with regards to lower back? Yeah, definitely. Um, and one of them was uh, about the herniated disc, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Sure. And another question was some exercises to help strengthen a lower back at home. So I'm sure we'll be able to cover those in our discussions today. Yeah, we'll definitely be touching into that. Um, I definitely had a few with regards to um, pain and discomfort when sitting down for too long. And that seems to be getting worse. Um, and actually an individual seems to be struggling to load the lower back feels fine day to day but when they're doing a little bit more of a sort of let's say a functional movement um, or, or just training and loading they feel like it's a bit weak and, and almost unstable they actually said um, so we, we definitely sort of touch on those and hopefully those topics and information kind of get covered in in the broader concept and, and context of what we're going to discuss today anyway um, but Essentially, let's kick start off with regards to lower back pain. Now, I feel like it's quite important to touch on what pain is and how people perceive pain, because that is a huge element on understanding and treating. Um, and it's a very misunderstood concept, I suppose. Although pain is pain, um, I think we should have a chat about it. So I think we all agree that pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual and potential tissue damage. Um, now it's essentially a perception of the brain from the central nervous system and to this day it isn't fully understood. However, we do know that it can modify and manifest itself under different conditions, which is why it's so tricky to deal with sometimes. Now as a definition, pain serves a purpose to prevent tissue damage and protect the body while it's healing. Um, however, under certain conditions, pain can become maladaptive and sneaky, really, and still be present even after, after tissues have healed. So it's almost like a phantom pain. And this is really important to sort of acknowledge, especially from a practitioner's point of view and from a listener if you are struggling with pain, because we need to understand where your pain is coming from and what type of pain you are experiencing and whether actually it's associated to that tissue damage, whether it's tissue damage from a long time ago. Essentially, the latter pain that we just mentioned with regards to pain that is still present, even though technically the tissues have healed, that phantom pain is a type of pain that serves no protective function and is described as a bit of a pathological condition, um, chronic pain as opposed to a physiological, mechanical type pain. Essentially, it's no longer a symptom of another disease, but a disease in its own right. So, um, yeah, a bit of a sort of a brief overview of, of that. Um, Liam, any, anything you want to sort of jump in and add on to that? Yeah, I think pain, as you mentioned, is, is one of those topics that is not very well understood by a vast amount of healthcare professionals. And, and really, for me, the way that I like to describe it to people um, is hurt doesn't always mean harm. Um, and to remember that pain isn't an input, pain is an output. So stubbing your toe doesn't put pain in your toe. The actual input is you kicking that door frame. The output is a sensation that you feel. 
um, which basically acts as a reminder to say, make sure you're careful when you next leave that room and you don't stub your toe again. And actually sometimes breaking down um, somebody, a, a patient, a client, whoever's understanding of pain and what's going on in their body is probably one of the most beneficial things that you can do. Because if you hurt your back two years ago and when you lean forward to tie your shoes up, you get a bit of pulling and a bit of stiffness. It's probably not tissue damage. It's probably just the, the kind of remnants of that injury grumbling on and we just need to retrain some movements and things will generally calm down. So just try and keep that in your mind always that hurt doesn't mean harm in, in all circumstances. Obviously, sometimes it does, but in all circumstances, it doesn't necessarily. Absolutely. I love that. I love those two little sayings, hurt, hurt doesn't mean harm. That's, that's definitely a little uh, nugget of information people can take from that. And yeah, exactly. I mean, especially with those chronic sort of pain circumstances, I think we need to look at that type of pain and the source of pain complete, in a completely different context in some instances. Um, perhaps stepping away from practitioner point of view, stepping away from that tunnel vision of pain must be mechanical in nature, you know, um, from a biomechanical or manual therapy perspective, um, and consider essentially the ever-growing evidence that's emerging with regards to what this sort of evidence focuses more on, um, focusing on pain models, um, neurophysiological pain, psychosocial profiles, lifestyle factors um, about the individual we have in front of us. Um, yeah, I think that's a super important aspect, um, especially... Oh, I'm hoping that everyone's still with us on this point. Um, that we're not losing too many people, but making sure that we're looking at pain in a multi-dimensional nature, essentially, not just this is the pain, this is what I need to treat. You know, um, understanding the listener's pain, your pain, um, and how you perceive pain, um, the impact that pain beliefs have, including anxiety and stress, and the mood that they may put you in and these, the effects that these very thoughts have on your pain, if we can understand them, then it allows us to help create a safe environment for recovery. So like Liam mentioned then, if you've, if you've injured your back years ago and you always find that there's a certain position, maybe spinal flexion, sitting down and it creates this unpleasant sensation, you end up guarding that pain and protecting that, that position and maybe avoiding that movement. And actually it's not about what we can, what to take away from your movement. It's about what we can add to improve your movement. So it's, it's kind of going down the realms of creating a safer environment to re-educate your body as to, to what movement's good, you know? And I think that's it exactly. You know, if you've had pain in your back for a long time, it is a period of, of retraining, not just um, your muscles and, and your tendons and your ligaments, but your brain as well, because ultimately we are creatures of habit. And that's sometimes not our own doing. Our brain just gets hardwired to, to kind of know these processes. And if you've had it for a while, it can just take a little while to kind of change thought processes of how your mind is working in relation to your, to your back. Um, there's just a bit of a process that, that you have to go through to fully rehabilitate if you have been suffering for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so, I mean, with that in mind, Liam, let's, let's sort of change direction slightly. Um, apart from the more serious sort of back conditions, and I know we're going to sort of progress into the herniated disc, um, what type of pain or common back problems, let's say, do you see presenting in clinic quite regularly? I think if, um, 
if we go to like a acute injury, so by acute, I mean something that's happened relatively recently, maybe within the last six weeks or so. So let's take an example um, of some gardening. So you're digging in the gardening or pulling up a tree or something like that. And you felt your back go and it probably felt all right straight afterwards. But then maybe the following morning or later that day, the back is really stiff. And every time you move, it kind of gives you a jolt and you kind of get really tense. And generally that would be a presentation of a spasm within some of the muscles. Um, and it's really uncomfortable when you do have sort of acute muscle spasm. It can kind of stop you in your tracks. It can make you not be able to stand up straight or the opposite and you can't lean forward. Um, and these, yeah, they're, they're completely unpleasant and generally respond pretty well to the right management um, in the first instance. A few little tricks that I'll ask my clients to do when they are suffering from acute pain, and it sounds ridiculous, but the first one is to remember to breathe. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as we're in a lot of pain and we naturally tense up and we become extremely rigid, now, your muscle of your back is in spasm. So spasm is it tightens up and completely clenches. Imagine clenching your jaw really tight. That kind of could put your jaw muscles in spasm. So that same sort of thing is happening around that lower back area. So the last thing we want to do is take a big breath and hold it rigid because then we're making it rigid from two angles. And that is kind of like running uphill um, while carrying a load of weight. It just makes it a whole lot harder. So literally breathe, relax. If you feel that pain come on, Take a big breath in and let that breath come right out and then try and gently move into a comfortable position for you. Now, there's so many muscles in the lower back. You've got deep muscles like multifidi that stabilize the spine. You've got um, big, strong muscles like quadratus lumborum, which run off the sides, Um, paraspinal muscles, which go up either way, tons and tons of them. So no two people present with the same muscles in spasm or very rarely they do. So there's no right or wrong movement to put yourself in to help with the pain. So if you've just hurt your back and actually you find that leaning forward really takes that tension away, then, you know, lean forward to get some ease of your symptoms. The same as leaning backwards. If, if that feels good, then do that to relieve your symptoms. I'm kind of not sure why, but quite often you get people in clinic and I'll say, what makes your back feel worse? They say, oh, leaning backwards, Liam, and they'll lean back and show me. And then... I say, well, what do you do when it is hurting? Oh, I lean back. And they go, oh, yeah, I can really feel that. And I'm like, well, why are you doing it? It's stupid, really, isn't it? It hurts. Just, just don't do it for a little while and, and let it calm down. And I think sometimes we, we kind of think no pain, no gain. But if you just hurt yourself, as stupid as it sounds, just for a little while, stop doing the things that hurt you. You'll be able to get back to them at some point in time. But just, just while it settles, just give it a little bit of a rest, really. I love the fact that you said that and it happens so often and you know what I even find myself doing it <laughs> if I hurt myself I'll be like oh what have I done you know and I'll be sort of trying to self-assess and I'll keep putting myself into it and I have to stop and think why am I, why am I aggravating that issue you know? I think it's just habit and, and nature um, yeah you know what I couldn't agree more with regards to the breathing and sometimes I, I mention this to, to clients and uh it comes across as a little bit hippie, you know, a bit, bit you know, spaced out with regards to and breathe, like very zen. But it is so important in calming that central nervous system, calming the spasms and the deep sort of Golgi tendons, you know. And, it, and I know we're going to move on to herniated disc, but again, and this, this is a great exercise to do relative of if you've got pain responses from herniated discs. I love to roll up a little pillow 
and basically place that pillow in the lower, lower sort of diaphragm region, lower ribs, and just lay down on my belly with that little pillow underneath and take a four second breath in and an eight second exhale and really trying to feel that breath coming from the sensory input from that pillow. So that, that will help um, put the spine in a bit of extension which is and, and um, pelvis sort of neutralization, which is really nice, but it helps just really melt all those deep paraspinal muscles, like a few of the muscles you mentioned in the, the QLs, the quadriceps lumborum, and, and even the, it helps relieve a lot of the intra-abdominal pressures. And, and with reference to what you were speaking of is when you hurt your back, you tend to become really rigid and tighten up um, and you hold your breath. And, and actually, we want to try and improve movement by bringing you out of that pain cycle and that 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 the way you perceive pain, the way you deal with pain, and the way you manage pain. So let's let's look at laying on the floor and, and just basically breathing through it in a comfortable position. But that that um, prone position when you're laying on your belly and the pillow under under the lower ribs, really really nice. And obviously, if you have herniated disc and you're struggling to even move, if you're struggling to get up and down off the floor, maybe prop a little um, towel in underneath the the lower abdominals as well, just to make make the, the stress on your spine, let's say little less than um what it what it may present with so yeah it's just finding that comfortable position and breathing that can be the first step and even if you're not in any in, uh, sorry even if you're not struggling with an injury it's a, it's a really nice way just to sort of connect with your body and relax relax those tight muscles especially if you train hard you know um yeah and it's quite i think you agree on this one liam is quite um easy to have someone present with a certain condition or what looks to be a certain condition and look at it from a very biomechanical point of view and obviously depending on what their lifestyle factors are and what they do for sport or work and the positions they're in all the time you do have to take that into account um, but you know we need to look at firing patterns whether certain muscles are constantly active um, or actually whether they're not active and they're being helped out with, with other muscles and, and whether there's any form of discrepancies, um, leg length causing a, a hip sort of discrepancy. The list is endless. Um, so we, we physically won't be able to discuss all of that today. But I would like to sort of um, deviate to MRIs. All right. So that chronic pain. Now, let's see. So you guys can't see it, but Liam just started smiling as soon as I said MRIs there. Um, especially when it comes into that chronic pain, ongoing pain, you know. Um, I think it's all too easy to see MRIs as a magical tool, you know, um, something that looks into the lower back and gives both the doctors and you something to pinpoint and blame. Um, most of you may be unaware that actually MRIs have been proven on many occasions in many research articles to be a lousy diagnostic tool um, with, with back pain. Um, especially low back pain and yeah it might show things but rarely are those things the cause of the real problem so a couple of little facts for you um, within a systematic review 3,500 people bearing in mind all these people are asymptomatic so essentially that means no pain is present but you know for research purposes we're getting MRI scans now within this research um, it showed up um, degenerative disc disease. Now, if we look at that as part of a bone health, let's say, um, and the disc health 
within the spinal complex. Obviously, we spoke about um, spinal anatomy and the discs that sit in between the vertebra in both the neck and thoracic podcast if you're not 100 sure on that head back over to those previous ones and listen um and, and yes we know that it, with age um we lose a little bit of um suppleness let's say um and disc health but degenerative disc disease okay within this study it showed that 37 percent of people in their 20s showed signs of it just over a little over 50 percent. i think it was 53 percent of people in their 30s showed signs of it and when people reached their 40s it bounced up to 68 percent and 60 years over 88 percent of people had this okay these are people without pain and yet nearly everyone <laughs> within a set range had symptoms and showed signs of this the same goes for stenosis essentially a narrowing of the opening between the vertebra it, this is normal with age and yet it can show on mris and and people will be very quick to say there's a problem. You know, you're showing signs of stenosis or degenerative disc disease or disc herniation. Disc herniations were present. Um, people in their 30s, 40% of them had signs of disc herniation. People in their 40s, that whacked up to over 50% showed signs of disc herniation. But again, these are people with no pain, but yet they're showing signs of disc herniation. You know? So just because the MRI shows something, doesn't mean that that is the cause of pain. I think that's um, really important to to remember when um, when kind of looking at patients who have had scans or think that they may need scans, etc. That a couple of points from me: are, a scan is just a snapshot in time. It's mm. uh, an image of you stood still or laying down still. It does not look at how you move. It doesn't look at a three-dimensional image. And probably the biggest point is that scan is still interpreted by a human being. And the amount of times there are errors on scans is astounding. So you're still dependent upon the quality of your radiographer. And I know some brilliant ones. And I've also looked at some scans and even me without full training in looking at scans think, mm, I completely disagree with you. There's a very different, pathology um going on there the other point really from me i would say is about terminology that we use degenerative disc disease i absolutely hate that phrase um mm -hmm. when you look at that degenerative disc disease sounds horrible right it's it just, does, yeah. it got into you it is not a disease. It is just a little bit of wear on your discs. If it was in your knee, you'd call it arthritis. The term disease makes us think that we're going to be crippled or it's killing us or blah, blah, blah. So the first and most important thing I'll always say to people is that term is a load of rubbish. Um, just means a little bit of wear. Don't worry about that, whatever. And like you said, there's so many of us wandering around with a bit of degenerative disc disease or a bit of wear, and it's given us no grief. So Sorry if I'm ranting a bit, but I just really hate that term. It's just an over-medicalized use. And then, you know, you tell someone they've got a disease in their spine, what do they want to do? The last thing they want to do is any form of exercise. And then they get referred over to physio and wonder why their outcomes aren't very good or why they then need a lot of education and why they need to move. So 
I think generally to criticize a whole medical profession is uh, sometimes language can be useful, uh, very, very unuseful and actually cause more harm than good. So if you have had an MRI and you're concerned about the findings and stuff, then just get in contact because actually talking through someone and using non-medical jargon um, can sometimes really just reassure you and help to, to get things moving a little bit. Um, I think we've massively gone off on a tangent there. So should we um, kind of regroup back into talking about um, disc herniations and how we treat and manage the symptoms? Definitely. I mean, definite um, detour on that, but so, so relevant, so relevant. Again, it kind of touches base on that terminology. And if, if you're just being spoken to as black and white, it's going to put the fear of God into you. And then again, it goes back into your pain beliefs, you know, so it, it definitely... Yeah, it has it has a has a place. It has a place. But obviously, coming back into um, the herniated disc, let's say, um, there's a lot of pain responses that fit into specific pathologies um, like disc prolapse. Now, essentially, herniated disc is called so many different things: slip disc, disc prolapse, you know, herniation. Essentially, it all comes down to the same thing, um, and it's there's clear mechanical factors and aggravators. So with regards to signs and symptoms, let's say, um, yeah, you may have had that mechanical injury with regards to digging too much or a direct trauma or, or a sudden impact within sport or outside of sport. Um, and you usually sort of get an onset of muscle spasms, you know, it really tightens up initially. And essentially that pain then worsens after standing or sitting and you maybe start getting a bit of referred pain down the leg or into the groin or the glute. Um, sometimes people sort of associate that to sciatic type pain, a um, lot of common sort of pain responses in that region. Um, and you might find that pain worsens at night, um, present, potentially presenting with unexplained muscle weakness, um, maybe a tingling and aching and burning sensations in that affected area. Um, it's these sort of signs that you, you know, we need to start thinking, okay, this is potentially um, herniated disc um, that is causing the direct pain, you know? Um, so Liam, do you get many lower back herniated disc uh, patients through your doors? I know we do quite a lot and it's all about the management, more so educating on the management. Do you, do you tend to find that you get a lot of these through? Yeah, definitely. Um, from varying degrees from sort of acute through to persistent ones that have been around for a little while but although there are elements of treatment that that may be different dependent upon um if they have got a herniated disc or not i think ultimately the the key thing about treating these is that we figure out how that person is moving and and what symptoms aggravate and what symptoms ease their condition and that formulates the start of a treatment plan so it may well involve some some manual treatment from myself to free up tight areas um, to allow the spine to move a little bit easier, to relax some of those tight or, or spasmed um, muscles. Um, again, just to allow some natural movement and maybe take away a bit of pressure um, from the herniation or where that herniation is, is kind of trapping that nerve. And quite often, if you calm down the areas around it, it just gives everything else a chance just to relax and, and move and move a little bit more freely. And this is probably where in the acute stage of this sort of injury that we need to be stretching and moving a little more. Um, nothing too aggressive, but even just if someone is in an awful lot of pain, just a very short, gentle walk, some gentle spinal kind of knee rolls or 
um, movements like that can be can be really helpful um, to help ease some of those symptoms. Anything different you do? Uh, no, if I'm honest with you, um, it's all about finding that um, envelope and, and again, understanding like we've touched on, understanding um, what they can and can't do and, and what almost guarding and restrictions they present with and really just helping them initially find space and find awareness of their body and what positions are comfortable, you know, and so they're not guarding and they're not creating all that interabdominal pressure of the back and, and just gently encouraging pain-free movement. Um, again, reducing that inflammation, a light amount of stretching and actually um, within a sort of acute sort of issues, then applying some very simple pain-free activation exercises as well you know, to, to reinforce the positive changes. And the more we work and educate the individual on what they can do, the more we can add to that rather than saying what I don't want you to, uh, sorry, rather than saying what I want you to do is stop doing this, you know, stop flexing, stop, 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 stop taking away from them. We want to show them what they can do and how to do that and what to then add to that um, with regards to rehab. And I think that's a... Uh, that's a really important point of just educating what they can do and not, not so much what they can't do. Um, but yeah, with regards to the rehab, just as and when the body allows to really bring into, it bring into play movement, strength, stability, and control. Um, I know initially it's that pain type um, pain. It's the pain response that we need to try and get to. And I, obviously previously mentioned um, laying on your belly with the towel under and, and focus on the, on the breathing for intra-abdominal. Um, but um, some really nice positions and movements people might like to do is, is I find laying on your back, so the insupine and essentially keeping your legs straight and then bringing your pelvis into a neutralist position, which is essentially um, a nice, a nice comfortable phase for you keeping legs straight and just, hitching the hips just gently pain-free just basically you're trying to take maybe your right hip towards your shoulder keeping the leg straight and then push it down and away from you then bring the left hip to the shoulder and push it back from you just so you starting to create this lateral type movement and small oscillations within that sort of sacrum and the lower back realms you know uh, we're trying to give you movement not tell you not, what not to so it's exploration of movement and and stability essentially i think that stability is a, is a big thing in relation to low back pain and i think as physios we're very guilty of um jumping on bandwagons about treatment and probably in the early 2000s course stability was a massive thing and everyone was put into pilates classes and <laughs> doing all this stuff i think we now know that yeah okay the core is important but it's no more important than any other sort of groups of muscles around the area so figuring out, out again what muscle groups need working on mm -hmm. um, and specifically strengthening those. Often it's not about actually doing core movements. I find that benefits patients the best. It's things about keeping the back in a neutral and, and stable and safe position and then adding in limb movements. So one of the questions that came in about was, how can you strengthen your back without doing, um, without equipment indoors? Um, Actually, specifically strengthening back muscles is probably something I rarely do because usually they're tight, which is causing it. If anything, I look to stabilize the area. So a good exercise is, the, I call it the Superman. It might be, might be wrong, um, what I call it, but you go into kneeling, um, nice, comfortable position of your spine, not overly arched. 
and then you just extend your, say for instance, your right arm out in front and you try and keep your back as stable as possible. If you're not sure about the position, just put a ball on your back and if it rolls off, you're not stable enough. So lift your arm out in front and then if you feel good with that, then lift your opposite leg. So it's as if like you're Superman flying through the air and then you can alternate side to side. And I find that a really nice way for people to start to get control of how their hips move, of how their back moves and kind of pull everything together really. Yeah, definitely. And, and when it comes down to um, pain management, it's not about treating the lower back in this instance. Let's refer back into the herniatis. Um, moving to the realms of how can we mobilize and release a little bit of pressure from your thoracic spine, as discussed in, in the last podcast. And let's look at taking the pressures away from that lower back by mobilizing the hips a little bit. So there's a lot of areas you can focus on that are pain-free, that will directly affect the amount of pressure that is being applied into that lower back. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the stability and strength and core strength is key. Now, guys, I know that we're sort of pushing half an hour now of us rambling on, um, but hopefully this is super relevant, you know, um, and this all is relative to back pain and how to best manage it. And we're kind of moving into the realms of answering a few of the questions that we had come through. Um, but Liam, you touched on stability and this core strength. And I think this is automatically the go-to thing for a lot of professionals, you know, um, back pain, stability, back pain, strengthen, you're weak. You know, it's not always the way, you know. Um, again, looking at the individual and the basis of why are you guarding that area? You know, if, if it's a chronic constant issue, don't get me wrong. If it's acute and reoccurring pain, then like in disc herniations, you may want to strengthen it. But actually if it's constant pers persistent stiffness, are you trying to, what are you trying to achieve from strengthening an already locked down back? You know, um, is that back locked down because there's an instability? Um, you know, we need to explore a little bit. Um, and it's, it's up to us as practitioners to, essentially use different approaches to empower you, the listener, um, to become more confident, move more naturally, become less protected and guarded, um, and essentially develop or, or remove that resilience and allow you to get back to, to function. Uh, quite quickly, I just want to use an example because one of the questions was all about um, backfields weak when lifting. Uh, I've got two examples of the sort of flip argument on st strength or, or uh, stability. Um, so both of these athletes I've seen previously, and actually both are power athletes. I think one was a sprinter by recollection and the other a discus. Um, now, clearly power athletes need high impact. Um, sorry, the power, power athletes um, put themselves under high impact, okay? And they need excessive stability to control the forces that they're applying through their movements in their set discipline. Um, however, in one of these instances, this client didn't know how to turn off their, let's call it high stability strategy, you know, how they stabilize their body through those excessive forces through their sport was drilled into them so readily and every single day that actually when it came to simple daily movements, sitting down, getting up, you know, picking up their baby, they're in a lot of pain through simple movements. And they were constantly using this high stability strategy in every realms of their life, 
which was great for when they trained because when they trained they were pain free, but it was in the simpler movements and the simple daily patterns that they caused pain. So in that instance, we needed to look at re-educating movement. Yeah? The strategies for high loads and desensitizing muscles and movements for simple tasks to improve movement awareness and control, which as a result allowed this clear definition between this is what you need to be, be thinking about and engage in this strategy for your competition, which you already know, and this is how you need to be focusing on when you get home. And the flip side of that was the other high power athlete came to us in a similar to a question we had with regards to they're fine normally, but when they go to the gym to perform functionally, they can't lift those heavy loads. And in this instance, we need to look at a system, a system of control for heavy loads, you know, um, and that would come down to that strength. There being a weakness and it causing instability when they load. So we need to look at improving and addressing strength related movements for that particular individual. So it really does come down to understanding the lifestyle and demands of, of you, the listener, and who we have in front of us. Um, and if practitioners aren't doing that, I think they really do need to need to take a look at how they're educating their clients, you know. And I think that relates back to some bits that we mentioned last week on the uh, thoracic podcast where we kind of mentioned about being in functional positions and you can do as much um, strengthening in laying on your back and in kneeling and on your side as, as much as you want to do. But if you're not mimicking your athletic movements, your work functional movements, when you're doing core stabilization and, and the sequences that you go through when you are strengthening up, um, you're probably doing your, you're kind of wasting your time a little bit. You do not need to be spending one or two hours a day doing kind of Pilates movements, just do some dynamic movement while you learn to engage your core muscles um, is probably far more beneficial to get function for you. And like you say, then actually be able to switch these muscles off the poor things. No wonder they hurt if they're constantly engaged. I mean, imagine walking around with your right arm up in the air. It's not going to be long until your shoulder absolutely kills. So it's no wonder you've got backache when you tie your shoes up and pick your children up. So it's, uh, it's just one of those areas where we tend to go a little bit overboard. But actually, if we just strip it apart and we look at, again, what's tight, what's maybe weak and the associated areas with it, symptoms generally improve pretty well, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for those of you, and again, sorry, another question I had was all to do with um, backache and essentially struggling to, I say, I hate this terminology as well, activate the glutes. <laughs> okay, but struggling to feel the glutes being involved. And obviously, we know that glutes have a huge impact in movement and biomechanics um, on, the, on the chain. But again, with, with things like that, we need to also think about assessing the movement, assessing the pain-free ranges and such, and, and, and determine what is potentially overactive and turned on. So mus uh, muscles are like light switches, you turn them on or turn them off, and sometimes these some muscles just are constantly on. And we need to assess what's on, what's not, um, and how to create a better balance within your body. Um, every aspect, every fascia sling, so the muscles themselves, um, in this instance, let's, let's say, the um, posterior sling, um, the glutes, the hamstrings, the back of the thigh, and the lower back. In order for a set movement in this realm's hip extension, so pushing your leg out behind you, there has to be a set firing pattern sequence. So muscles have to fire in a certain order. Now, again, if, if you are struggling with really ongoing back tightness and you're finding that you can't activate X, Y, and Z muscles and that you're really struggling, see someone about it. They should look at your movement 
what's on, what's not, and how your muscles are firing for that particular movement that you're struggling with or the movement that maybe you put yourself through each and every day, whether that's a stress movement or a functional training movement. And we look to sort of address those, reset the firing pattern, educate you as to how to link your brain to resolving issues. And it's usually really simple. Once somebody else kind of has a little look, sees what's working and what's not working, it's normally a really easy fix and things slot into place so yeah. don't get worried if you can't engage your glutes or you're overactive in this area it just needs a, a thorough assessment really to, to kind of highlight those key areas and, and go from there and ultimately if you do that it then stops the pains becoming persistent so then you don't have to worry about the whole pain stuff that we spoke about before because if we can undo those kind of um, wiring loops a little bit earlier on things generally will will settle down um, mm -hmm. quite nicely Absolutely. And um, I think just to wrap it up um, to a degree, I'm just going to deviate back to the herniated disc discussion. And I, I don't think we've kind of mentioned it. I know we've, we've discussed what it is and a few of the signs and symptoms, but I think it's really important if you're listening to this and you feel like you have um, a few of those signs and symptoms of disc herniation, you're struggling with back pain, um, see someone, you know, um, don't just leave it untreated because and albeit in rare situations, we need to be very aware that there are certain conditions with regards to the slip disc or the herniated disc that can cause complications and, and be quite severe. Um, so I think if, I mean, if left untreated, these discs can lead to permanent nerve damage. And in albeit very rare cases, okay, but in some cases, this herniated disc, slip disc can um, affect nerve impulses. So they're quite a um, quarter and quarter which is like part of the main nerve structural column in your lower back and legs. And if this occurs, you may lose bowel or bladder control. Okay. Super, super rare, but this might be why your practitioner, don't be embarrassed. This might be why your practitioner maybe asks you a couple of these personal questions. You know, it's, it's to assess what level, whether there's a red flag flying up that we need to then refer you in for a bit more of a severe um, look and, investigation into that and another long-term complication is known as saddle anesthesia um, and in this case this disc issue compresses nerves and causes you to maybe lose sensation in your inner thighs the back of your legs and around your rectum so again don't be embarrassed if if your practitioner asks you about stuff like this it's all to do with basically trying to um, realize that actually you're not in that category of severe nature you know um but if you are listening and you have any of these potential signs and symptoms please do see someone and i would just say if you um suddenly lose control of your bowel or bladder or probably more serious than that you can't pass water mm. um or you lose a sensation around like you say the inner groin area that for me is a, a straight away a trip to A&E, um, because that can be um, irreversible problems if they are left not looked at. So if you get those signs, um, then definitely I would probably say in the first instance, phone 111, get some advice, make sure it is that. Um, but don't worry about this because it is extremely, extremely, extremely rare. But as healthcare professionals, we have to cover this when we're talking to you. Um, so like I say, it is very rare and the chances are nobody listening will ever suffer from this. But we just have to let you know. I think probably the most important things from me in relation to back pain 
keep moving, keep everything as mobile as possible. Uh, if you are suffering from pain, a good walk, a bit of deep breathing and some gentle stretches normally helps make things feel a whole lot better. Absolutely. And if you're struggling to find um, movement patterns that you are pain free and give one of us a call um, and we'll be more than happy to help you get back to pain free movement. Um, and right there is a good place to stop. So I appreciate it's a slightly longer uh, podcast than usual, guys, but um, in all honesty, I feel like there's a lot of information there that's really relevant for like back pain. Um, some severe, some sort of daily lifestyle, some training related. So hopefully you found that super useful. Um, and if you did, give us a little thumbs up and give us a little like on the podcast. And essentially stay tuned for many more to come. Anything you want to finish off on, Liam? Uh, thanks to everybody for uh, putting up with a bit of a lengthy episode, but hopefully you found it helpful. And uh, we'll catch up with you all soon. Absolutely. Thanks for your continued support, guys. We will see you on the next podcast.